Well, good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. My name is Terry Earwood. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and my wife and family and I, we've been here. Thank all five of you. Um, uh, now you got me going. See, you got me started. My heart exploded this morning when I walked in. I started seeing faces. I started being reminded that this is where God has us in this life. He has us among one another. He has us in His plan. And he's, he's working out His purpose through this plan. And He's got us together in Simi Valley. He's got us in Cornerstone Church this morning, able to love on one another, able to receive the love of God that He's bestowing upon us through the gospel which we're going to get to in a minute through the narrative of Jesus coming incarnate. But I was just, my heart is overwhelmed as I see your faces come in. And this morning I didn't get to greet as many as I normally do, but just a sense that we're together. A sense that we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ, that we are in the family of God. And that we're on this journey that God's put us on together. Why? I don't know. With some of the people, I don't know that either. But it's good, and it's going to get gooder, right? All right. Well, if you missed last week, shame on you. Josh Walker did an incredible job of just opening up. Yeah. He, he opened us up to this four-part series we're going to be uh, talking about on the incarnation and that word, uh, it's not carnation breakfast, it's incarnation. Uh, it is the incarnation, God becoming man and dwelling here on earth with us, with the humans that he created. And so if you don't get anything else out of what I say today, because I, I may be all over the place, but as you leave, here's what I want you to leave with. That this Jesus who is our God, who came in flesh and dwelt among us. He did it. So that this thing that we call the Christian life, so that this reality of our life here on this side of heaven is tangible and real in the spiritual realm. Because our Savior came and He demonstrated to us what it means to be man and what it means to be fully God at the same time. And so... It is tangible today. We can do it. It's not inconceivable. It's very doable. And the very things that Christ is going to call us to do in our daily lives, He's going to not only show us through His Word, but He's going to give us the power to do it. Amen? So, that's my message. If you don't leave with anything else, that's what I want you to get. I love Christmas. Isn't it great? I mean, you just... You know, it's, it's one of those times of year where... You hear the Christmas music, you see all the decorations, you ride by all the nativity scenes, and if you listen to, you know, radio, even secular radio, they're playing Christmas songs, and, you know, if you listen to Christian, every preacher is preaching on Jesus, right? And, uh, and sometimes, you know, it's great messages, but other times, we have to be very discerning, because there are things out there that... People are saying that just kind of stretch the story a little bit. And they, they stretch it sometimes even more than we're okay with. 
And uh, one of the things that I, I came across that I want to share with us this morning is because we're preaching on the incarnation and the life of Christ. We want to make sure that you understand it very clearly. Um, and you don't understand it in light of elementary kids as they work through the Bible. Listen to some of uh, how an elementary kid might explain what's in the Bible. Adam and Eve were created from an apple tree. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day, but a ball of fire by night. Now think about this in light of Christmas, right? We hear all of these stories about Christmas. We see the nativity and everybody's kind of got their different take on it. The Egyptians, they were all drowned in the desert. Didn't know it rained in the desert. After Moses went up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Amendments. Uh, Moses died before he reached Canada. <laughs> then Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. <laughs> Guilty. Uh, the greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still and he obeyed him. Uh, David was a Hebrew king skilled at playing the liar. That one will, you'll get that one later. Solomon, one of David's sons, had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. <laughs> the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> and a Christian should have only one spouse. This is called monotony. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Wow. All right. Let me set the scene. Jesus is fulfilling the plan of God by coming to earth. And he's going to do so in a way in which Josh explained last week. In a way of humble means. Leaving the portals of his kingdom. Turning aside all of the kingdom and kingly privileges that are due to be given to the king. And he's going to come and he's going to enter time and space here on this earth and he's going to dwell with us. And he's going to do so in a way that he's going to get his fingers dirty. He, he's going to be real, a, a real man. He's going to be a young boy. He's going to be a babe. In fact, he comes in this obscure town through a virgin. A very young virgin girl. No fanfare. No parade as a king would normally get. No royal servants there to take care of them. Simply, but profoundly, God coming to us among the animals as man, as a babe in the manger. And the way Josh continued that thought was he, he talked about the chasm. Do y'all remember that? He talked about this large chasm that has kind of been set before us. And as we look across to the other side, we can barely see the other side because of all the stuff in the way. As we 
keep looking, it seems to get further and further away. Pretty soon we come to the realization there's no way we're going to be able to cross that chasm on our own. We, we need a rescuer. We need someone to come and to help us get to the other side. And in God's plan, He sends Jesus, His only Son, to be that rescuer. And He comes and He lays down His life. You've probably seen this, some of you on tracks before, on gospel tracks, where you see the cross laying across the two chasms. And that's, that's what Jesus did for us. He bore our sins. He took upon the weight of God's wrath upon Himself. The wrath that we deserved. And He laid Himself and His life down so that we could walk across to the other side of that chasm. And He left us with this main point. And this is a point that we're going to continue with today and we'll continue with the next uh, couple of weeks. It's on the screen over here. And the main point He left us with is out of a loving, compassionate, humble heart, Jesus, our Messiah King, crossed an unimaginable chasm in order to rescue us, His people. Therefore, in loving, compassionate, humble imitation of our King, that's our key word today, imitation of our King, we as His people should each exhibit a joyful willingness to sacrificially cross lines for the sake of displaying and bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, today, may Your Spirit direct my thoughts and words. May Your Spirit open the ears of the people here to hear what thus saith You, O Lord. May You open up their hearts to embrace and experience the fullness that You're offering to us this morning through Your spoken Word, through Your written Word, through Your Holy Spirit that lives within those who say we are followers of Yours. Write Your Word on our hearts this morning. Write it on our, on our minds. And let us walk from here alive in You, ready to imitate you in every area of our life, knowing that you've provided the plan, knowing that you've given us a portrait, a picture of your life and how to do this. And then you've done the greater thing in providing us the power in which we can do it through. So thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, uh, if you need a Bible, we're going to be in the Bible today, so raise your hand. And also, if you didn't get any of my uh, notes when you came in, raise your hand on those too. You'll need those notes. Anybody need a Bible? Yeah, right. Keep your hands up. Okay. As you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. This is a verse that... This series that we're in, we're going to be using throughout uh, the next two weeks and today. So Philippians chapter 2. If you're new to the Bible, go about halfway, open it up, and then start turning right. And you're going to come to uh, Philippians in a few minutes, okay? If you want to cheat, just go to the front or back of your Bible, look, and it's a Philippians word, and it will tell you what page it's on. In my Bible, it's on page... I don't even have page numbers in my Bible. That's not right. 
Nine idiots in my Bible. That may not help some of you. Okay, let, today I'm going to keep referring to the plan, to the picture or the portrait of Christ, and to the power. Because if we look at the babe in the manger, and that's all we see, and maybe even we see a little bit of his life here on earth, and, and we see enough of it to where we want a little bit of Jesus, but really not all of Jesus. And then we don't understand the power. Then we're not a redeemed people. We're not experiencing the fullness of Christ living in us that God intended for us. And so today, his plan is more than just the nativity. His plan is more than just the death. More than just the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a picture of Him being in us and dwelling with us. And then giving us the power to live it out. So let's read Philippians chapter 2. We'll read uh, beginning in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Today, we're going to focus on imitation. Imitating Jesus is not inconceivable. Imitating Jesus is not impossible. And I hope today after we look through a couple of chasms that we're going to uh, adventure into, we're going to see that not only is it not impossible and it's not unconceivable, but God has provided everything to make it possible for us. He's provided everything for us that it will be conceivable in our lives, that we can take everyday situations that we face that even Christ faced in his life here on earth, we're going to see how God is going to equip us and provide for us his power and other things that we can imitate Christ and have victory in these same areas. When you think of the word imitator, what comes to your mind? Right? It's, it's being a resemblance of another. It's doing what another does. The world says it, it's the highest form of flattery. 
right? Imitating someone else. Think about imitating Christ. How are you doing? Those of you who have trusted Christ and you've made a commitment to follow Him, how are we doing in our imitation of Him? See, for me, I guess the greatest hindrance to Christ and imitating Him and the Christ-likeness in my life is me, myself. There's a lot of other sins, obviously, that come into my life that kind of keep me from being Christ-like. But at the end of the day, when Terry puts himself on the throne of his life, and he takes Christ and he sets Him off the throne, and and He elevates me, myself, on this throne, that's my greatest obstacle. That's the greatest battle that I face in every day. And that is elevating myself, putting myself on the throne of my heart and my life and in my thoughts instead of putting Christ on that throne. You see, the good news that I hope to cover today is that God's given us the power to dethrone ourselves. He's given us the power to take ourselves off the throne and allow Christ to dwell on the throne of our lives. When we think about the plan, when we think about the portrait and the picture, and then when we think about the power, that power in imitating, right? This is God's plan. Because I can imitate my father. I can imitate others. If I work hard enough, if I discipline my life hard enough, Right? I, I, can, I can do things like others do. But it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. And God's plan, He gives us a picture of Christ, and then He does the next profound thing. He says, You don't have to work at it, you don't have to continually discipline yourself first. No, all you need to do first is submit yourself. Surrender yourself. Deny yourself. And oh, by the way, as you're doing this, you don't have to do it with your own strength. I've provided the Holy Spirit that works within you that gives you the strength to deny yourself and to be able to imitate Christ and think like Christ and and emotionally go through the things that Christ went through. That's what's different about God calling us to imitate Christ. That's what sets the Christian life apart. It's not me being any different than anybody except God dwelling in me. God being alive in me. And because God is alive in me, His powers at work in me, And this imitation that I'm going to do, that I'm going to be Christ-like, it's His work. It's not just my work, but it's Him coming alongside. So we're going to walk through four different chasms, four different uh, scenarios that Jesus did. And I want to uh, hopefully make this very practical to you so that you can begin to sense that, hey, I can imitate Christ. And these decisions that I have to make in life, I can imitate Christ. So go with me to the first one. Matthew chapter 4. 
And I tried to pick four chasms here that would relate to us. And the first one we're going to find in Matthew 4 is a chasm of temptation. I think all of us would say if we've been around for a number of years, even a few amount of years, we would, we would understand that we've been tempted before, right? It's not a matter of if you're going to be tempted, but it's when you're going to be tempted, right? Now watch as we read this. Begin to put in your mind the things that Christ did, and we're going to go back and talk about them. Beginning reading in verse 1. Then Jesus led up by spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You think? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high place or mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So here it is. Jesus in the wilderness, he's been fasting, he's hungry as a bear, he's, he hadn't eaten in 40 days. Jesus comes in the weakest part physically of, of his life, oftentimes using the same strategy in our own lives, right? When we're physically tired or we're sick or we're hungry, Satan will come and he'll tempt us. Watch how Jesus responds. First, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he was led by the Spirit. Third, Jesus used the Word of God. He, in fact, he uses three passages in Deuteronomy. He goes way back to the Old Testament. And each time, he takes the Word of God that he was taught and he uses it in this temptation. Not only did Jesus not give in to the temptation, but the word, the, the verb there at, in verse 12 that says minister, the angels came to minister to, it's an ongoing term. The ministers, the, the thought is that the angels were ministering to him all the way through the temptation. So now let's consider, with that in mind, consider your last encounter with temptation. Were you full of the Holy Spirit? Get a good temptation in your mind. Were you full of the Holy Spirit? Were you being led by the Holy Spirit? Was God's word written on your heart that you were able to use it as a sword quickly? To take the lie that Satan brought to you and to expose it by the truth of God's word? Was the sacrifice of giving and resisting that temptation, was it worth it? 
Did God provide for you more when you said no? How'd you do? How did I do? That scenario plays over and over every day throughout my life in your life. It's the plan. It's the reality of our sin. It's the reality of living in a sin-filled world. It's the reality of having an enemy that wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But it's also the reality <laughs> about God living in us through the power of His Holy Spirit, demonstrating through Jesus Christ how we can overcome sin. Not just having victory in that sin, but having the fullness of Christ in joy as we celebrate and be fully satisfied in not selling for what Satan gives us, but glorying in what God gives us. Amen? Chasm 2. Facing death. Matthew 26. 36 through 46. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows the end is coming near. He realizes that he is going to get a word from God. He's not sure at this point. And my heart just, it, it, was, it was overflowing uh, this week when, when I realized that many of you this morning, in this building, you're dealing with facing death. We, we all are going to die. But some of you, you've had that visit. Science has somehow tried to uh, predict. They can't. But there, there's been some predictions made. There's been some tests run. And you're facing death. See how Jesus handled it. Begin reading with me in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. That's his disciples. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, is it possible, let this cup pass from me. Oh, if it's possible, Father God, let this pass, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless... I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he, said, then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See the hours at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. 
So here's Jesus, sorrowful unto death, asking God through prayer, praying drops of blood. In fact, this, this sorrow was so heavy upon him. It was so severe that, that it even threatened his death at that moment, physically. Well, what did Jesus do? He prayed. And he asked others to join him in praying. Is that impossible? Is that unconceivable? Second thing. He had hope in God's sovereignty and his power. See, he said all things are possible. God, you, you can do anything. He directed his focus on the sovereignty of God, the power of God that could do anything. And he trusted God in his wisdom to carry out this plan in his own life. He even thought and believed that there may be an alternate plan. And the third thing he did was he said, not my will be done, but yours be done. He submitted to God's will. In the very face of death, knowing that he was going to endure our sin, he knew he was going to go through a painful death by taking the wrath of God upon himself for all the sin of mankind. What did he do? He prayed. He called others to pray. And he said, not my will be done, but your will. John chapter 14 Jesus predicts this, his death again. And he calls his disciples in. It's kind of in, in the last two minutes of the ball game. And he calls them in and he says, guys, he says, I'm going to go away. But let not your hearts be troubled. Because if you believe in me, believe also in God. Because I'm going to go away, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this new heaven and this new earth. And you see, Jesus directed his thoughts to a new heaven and a new earth in the midst of this dying. The second thing he, he, he did in John and he offered to his disciples, I think he's offering us today, is he says, I'm going to give you peace when I go away. And this peace I give you, it's not as the world gives you. Now, this, the, what the world gives you is based on situations and circumstances. This piece I'm going to give you is far more amazing. It, it will allow you to stand at the head of the coffin of your child and say, not my will, but your will be done. It will, be able, it, it will empower you to be able to look at the doctor face to face and him say, it's stage four. There's a small percentage that you'll live more than six months. Over 21, well, not over, 21 of you that we know of, that I know of, in our body here at Cornerstone, over the last three years, you've heard those words. You've heard those words that you have cancer. 
Some of you have heard it's stage four. Some of you heard it's stage one. Some of you heard it's stage three. 21 of you, three years, that me and Diane and Norton have kind of brought together. And, and again, there's probably more. And I've been with many of you. The elders have prayed for most of you. And we've prayed, God, would your will be done? But what I didn't do, what the elders can't do, is enter into that pain. And the reality of what you're going through as you're facing this death. But you know what? Jesus did. He's able to do that. And He did do that. Doesn't make it any easier for you. Right? In your imitation of Him. But it provides a way. It directs your focus and attention maybe to Him. Maybe it brings you to a place where you're denying yourself so that the Spirit of God can give you the power and ability to face death. See, we're all going to die. We don't know when, but it's the inevitable. We're going to die. How did Jesus face death? i got to hurry. Sorry, guys. Chasm three, trusting God to provide for my everyday need. I think this is one that uh, really hits home with me and uh, unfortunately it probably hits home with most of you. Luke chapter 12, we won't read this, but in verses 13 through 21, this chasm that we're, we got across, it's this little chasm, right? Christ has is, is crossed the big chasm for us and now we got all these little chasms in our life. And it's this next chasm that we face. And it's really, can we trust God to provide for our everyday needs? And what you'll find, and I gave you notes so you can take home and read them. But what you'll find is in, in those first eight verses in 13 through 21, it, it's a conversation about a man and his inheritance. And then Jesus, it leads him to the, the, tell the story that, the parable of the rich farmer. Then he goes through verses 22 through 34, and uh, he lays out this, <clears throat> this whole message or, or this encouragement on uh, basically contentment. And he gives to us in a message that is very prevalent through his whole life as you follow him through the Gospels. He lived in contentment all the way through. His, his walk matched his talk. You see, Jesus knew that people who are satisfied only with the things money can buy, they're in great danger of losing the things money cannot buy. Jesus made it clear throughout his life that true life does not depend upon an abundance of possessions. He demonstrated that for us. He was a picture of that. He did not deny that we have certain basic needs. Matthew 6, he never denied that. He only affirmed that we will not make life richer by acquiring more things. He didn't say that we didn't have everyday needs. In fact, he acknowledged we have everyday needs and 
This is how he's going to address it. He's going to say, don't worry. Don't worry. I know the Father knows that you have needs. Trust me. How did Jesus trust him? Oh, so many ways. You're, you're going to have fun if you take these notes and you use them in your men's study, women's study, in your uh, community group, however you use them, because you're just going to run across scripture after scripture of how Jesus depended on the Father to, to provide for his needs every day. You see, for me as a father and a husband, this is probably the area that I struggle with. And I struggle with it both from having too much living in America and looking at the world and seeing what most of the world don't have. And then I struggle on the other end of having too little. And, and I'm, I, I battle with myself again when Terry's on the throne of his life and he's seeing things through his lens and, and the world becomes around me. I begin to grow discontent. I begin to think that there are other things out there that if, if, if I had the money to purchase, they would bring me happiness or fulfillment. And Jesus warned against that. He lived his life as a demonstration that, that money is not evil. It's the love of it that is the root of all evil. How did he... How did he deal with trusting the Father, provide for his needs? He was a son of a carpenter. He was, out, he was an itinerant evangelist. He was telling them, you know, don't take this and don't take that for your journey. He was taking a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish and expounding them to a gourmet meal. What was his formula? Those of you who want a formula. Here it is. He denied himself by asking God to fix his eyes upon him. He put his trust in his heavenly father for his provision. And then he gave even when it hurt. That's his formula. Deny yourself. Depend upon God through the power of His Spirit to work in us, to do what we can't do on our own, and then to, to do in obedience because God has provided us the wealth, the wealth that we need. By obedience, we just respond. And we just give when the Holy Spirit tells us to give. And we do that. And you know what it produces? Great joy, doesn't it? Some of you are givers. And you're, you're some of the most content people in life. When my wife and I choose to give and we pray through it, something about giving that ignites the, the joy of God in our lives. The fourth chasm there's another one that uh, is prevalent in, in, our, in my life and in your life, and that's the chasm of being secure in your identity. We're always being pressured to be someone we're not. In Luke chapter 4, 
uh, verses 16 through 30. We won't read that. But if you, when you read that on your own, Jesus faced this, this whole pressure that the world places on us today. It placed it on Jesus 2,000 years ago. Think about it. As a child, he was a son of a virgin, teenage virgin, born in this little obscure town. Probably, probably was called Bastard. Because here's Mary, not betrothed, not married to Joseph at the time of the... That was the stigma that he was given. Then as he's 12 years old, right, he's in the temple. They're amazed because he's answering these questions and he has this understanding, this wisdom to talk with the priest. And no doubt, he would probably felt the pressure of to stay in there and, and God, look at what God's done through this amazing 12-year-old. I mean, he can do it all. And he goes through his teenage years and he's probably known, and he, not probably, he was known as Ah, he's the son of the carpenter. That's Jesus over there. This continual wrestle with his identity. This continual wrestle against the world and who they were wanting him to be. And you get into his ministry life and what? As soon as he started doing miracles, now they want him to be the miracle maker. They want him to be the great deliverer. The Jews could not believe that here's this great deliverer. Jesus wants you to act like the great deliverer that God promised to us, your people. Jesus resisted having the world shape his identity, having the world take and press upon him who they wanted him to be. You had that happen to you lately? Have you been in a conversation in the last three or four days that someone didn't ask you what you do for a living? If you're a man, that's kind of how all of our conversations. How's work? How you doing? You see, we're known for what we do way more than we're known for who we are. And take that one more step. We're definitely known more for what we do and a little bit for who we are, but even more whose we are. See, Jesus knew whose he was. The Father had a plan for Jesus. He has a plan for us. And through this plan, He's created us to be who we are. He's given us each gifts and He's given us talents. He's even set boundaries around our lives. He's put us into this place and time to live out this Gospel. Young people, at every stage of your life, you're going to face the pressure of the world putting an identity on you. How are you going to respond? Deny yourself. Focus your attention on God. And allow the Spirit to live in you. Let me close with this thought. Christ, His life calls us to come to Him. To learn of Him. To follow Him and abide in Him. Each of these simply require our faith. This attitude and response of trust, self-surrender, and dependence upon Christ 
is the essential attitude and response of our lives to God. It is through these that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to provide for us needed strength, satisfaction, and security to our souls. In our desire to imitate Christ, the Holy Spirit works in our personality in a marvelous way. He reshapes us in our character. He inspires us with hope. He creates joys within us. And He provides perfect satisfaction in Him. You see, by every act of trust and self-surrender that we offer, we receive an even larger measure of the life of Christ. Faith keeps working. It's not a one-time thing. It keeps getting larger and larger. And all the while, we're being changed into the image of Christ and from glory to glory by the Spirit of the Lord that dwells within us. How are we doing on imitating Jesus? I challenge you with this. Throughout the rest of the Christmas season, let's not just look at Jesus as a babe in the manger. But let's look at him as a risen king next to the Father in glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, somehow use these scattered words that I brought forth as an offering to you of worship. Our desire is that we would imitate you well this morning. And as we leave here, we would definitely depend upon you to allow us to imitate well the life you gave us. Thank you for that picture. The portrait that you, through your humanity, gave to us so that we, we can touch and feel and read and know what you have done in so many of the circumstances that we face in our life. Thank you that you're a real God and that through your spirit you dwell in us and you give us the power to imitate you. And so we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. William's going Actually, he's going to sing a song for us. And the words will not be on the screen. But I, I just want to do something that um, we don't do a lot and you may not... Um, need prayer, but this morning I, I talked about these four chasms, and there may be other chasms in your own life, but if you're, if you're battling with anything uh, beyond those four chasms or any of those four, and you want prayer, just, just come forward. Just come forward, and somebody will pray with you, or you just, just come forward and pray and cry out to Jesus while He leads us, or while He sings a song. Respond in your heart to the Spirit this morning and let Him free you. Amen.